everyone. I am just so incredibly grateful that we get to do this. You know, during this third wave, it's been challenging at times to, to do church everywhere like this. And, uh, you know, I've missed so much seeing all of your faces. And I honestly can't wait until next week where we get to gather, albeit only 50% of us, but we get to gather 50% of us together. We'll be there on that 11 o'clock uh, kind of streaming for those that can't make it physically. But I can't wait to finally see you all again next week. Um, and as I step into thinking about us returning physically next week. I've got something on my heart that I really want to communicate to us today. This is the final one-off kind of church everywhere message I'm going to do before we open back up and we're going to start that Imago Day series next week. But today, there's something that really is resonating on my heart for each one of us. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm calling this message this. I'm calling it, where did the wine go? Where did the wine go? So here's what's on my heart for us today. I, I really want to bring a word of encouragement to us as a church. And I don't know about you, uh, but I've been really in need uh, of encouragement lately. And, and let's face it, when, when life is hard, when things are tough, uh, with all the things that we've been facing lately as a community here in Hong Kong, um, we need encouragement, don't we? Whether that comes from our loved ones or whether it comes from God, we just need that word, that challenge of encouragement. And, and I have to say, as I was praying about this message, as I was preparing this for us, I, I felt like this is going to be a very significant message for some of us watching right now. Some of you are really in need of the encouragement that I'm about to bring through this passage of Scripture. And I, I want to take us to uh, actually something that we've been singing about a little bit uh, in our time together this morning, and that is to the very first miracle that Jesus does in the Gospels. It's found actually in the Gospel of John, and, and it starts in chapter 2, verse 1. It's a familiar miracle. It's Jesus turning the water into wine. Um, and, and I'm I'm excited to unpack this today uh, to really speak to those of you uh, who really are calling out and in need of God to work His miraculous power in your life. So uh, let me take us to John chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read the first 10 verses. Here's what it says. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and His disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind that are used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. John is writing his gospel considerably later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, when, when John writes this gospel, it's likely uh, that the gospel of Luke and definitely the gospel of Mark uh, were already in circulation amongst the early church. 
And much of what John does when he writes his gospel is he doesn't try to kind of repeat everything that has been spoken about in those other gospels. He wants to try to center uh, everybody's reading's understanding of who is Jesus. What is it that Jesus has come to do and who is he as a person? And so much of what he puts in his miracle stories are little triggers to help us to understand exactly who Jesus is. And this story is one just like that. And I want to just unpack this, and as I do so, hopefully bring some fresh understanding for you about what takes place, not only in this miracle, but actually what takes place in Jesus' death and resurrection. The first thing we need to know is what's said right at the start. It says, on the third day. <laughs> this, is, this is, again, classic John. Now, a couple of things here. Jewish weddings always, and in fact, still today, take place on the third day of the week. For them, that's Tuesday. For the week starts on Sunday. And they take place on the third day because actually on the third day of creation, it's actually only the third day that God pronounces that day good twice. It's quite cool. You can check it out <laughs> earlier uh, or later uh, in Genesis 1 and 2. But in there, God actually proclaims that third day good twice. And so in Jewish tradition, they get married on Tuesday in order to honor the reality that that day is good twice. But also, here's the other interesting thing. They got married on the third day because Moses received the law given on Mount Sinai on the third day. And Jewish people understood that what a wedding was was really a covenant between husband and wife that mirrors something of the beauty and the profundity of the covenant that had come from God to humanity on Mount Sinai on that third day. So by getting married on the Tuesday, on the third day, it's not only called good twice, but it also represents the giving of a covenant, the connection in that law and commitment towards one another. But John's throwing in another part too. When the early Christians would have read this on the third day, it would have resonated exactly what took place in Jesus' resurrection, that on that third day, Jesus rose again from the grave. And so writing this, those original Christians in the early church, reading John's gospel for the first time, hearing this story on the third day, they would immediately be taken to the resurrection of their Savior. And that's exactly the, the perception that John wants us to have as we read the rest of the story. The next thing he says, after saying the third day, he says they meet in a wedding at a place called Cana in Galilee. Cana was about five miles, kind of northeast of Nazareth. So it was very close to where Jesus and his family grew up. And it's very likely that the people that were getting married this day were family friends. We, we kind of understand this because Mary, Jesus' mother, is also invited to the wedding. And Jesus and all of his brothers and sisters and all of his disciples are also invited and present at this wedding at the time. It's a real family affair. And, and weddings in those days were fascinating things. They lasted from three to seven days. Can you imagine that? Most of us get married on one day and that is enough, right? Jewish weddings in those days, three to seven days. And they were community fairs, particularly in a, in a place like Cana that was a relatively small town. That community would have all gathered together to celebrate those weddings. And the pinnacle of the wedding ceremony was the feast. And the pinnacle of the feast was the consumption of wine. And the question is, why was wine so important? Well, well the wine symbolized two things in Jewish understanding at a wedding. The first is abundance, and the second is quality. 
When the wine came, the quality of the wine would speak of the quality of the love that the couple had for one another. The better the wine that was tasted, everybody in the wedding would say, wow, what great quality of wine that symbolizes the power and the quality of the love of the people that just gotten married. It's pretty cool, right? The other thing is abundance. The more wine there was, the longer the love was expected to last. The abundance of the wine spoke about this generosity of their love towards one another. We have abundant wine at this feast to symbolize the abundance of your love for one another and the length in which you're going to be married. It was a beautiful symbol of the quality and the length of their love for each other. All of which creates an issue when Mary comes to Jesus and says these words. She comes and says, they have no more wine. (laughs) Now, when we have a little bit of that background, those words take on a little bit more of a different meaning. This is not just some social problem for this marriage kind of feast. It's not just some sort of social embarrassment. This is a symbolic issue that they're now having to wrestle with. Mary somehow has found out that the wine has run out. Now, now how did she find that out? Well, it's likely that she was involved in the wedding in some way. If this was a, a wedding that was taking place nearby, if these were family friends, maybe Mary was involved in helping to serve during the feast and she'd been going back and forth from where the wine was and she had just discovered that the wine had run out. The bride and bridegroom didn't realize, the master of the banquet didn't didn't know, but Mary discovered it. And in realizing suddenly that the wine is gone, she comes to the one person that she believes can fix it. She comes to her son, Jesus, and she says, Jesus, they have no more wine. I, I, I can almost sense when I read these words that there was a little bit of a panic in Mary. She, she rushes because she knows abundance and quality. She knows the, the symbolism of this and what it will say to all the guests at the wedding. So she shows up to Jesus and in this mild panic, she's like, where did the wine go? Where, where did the wine go? I want to pause here and I want us just to take a moment to, to reflect on these words. Because I think these words have some profound saying to us. Because I don't know about you, but here's something that we need to understand about humanity. That no matter how great the party is, no matter how long the party has been going on, no matter how much we may have invested in that party, here's the reality. One day the wine will run out. One day, at one moment, we'll suddenly find ourselves where it had all been going really great, suddenly something happens, suddenly something changes, suddenly there's a a relational difficulty, suddenly something takes place in our lives, maybe there's a, a, a sudden thing that's kind of broken all the momentum that we've had and we suddenly find ourselves in a place where the wine has run out. And we find ourselves in the place where we're going, hang on a sec, where, where did that wine go? Because it's been great up until this moment, but now it seems like everything's gone wrong. I, I think 2020 is the kind of year where we as a whole community might go, where did the wine go? I mean, for us individually, think about this. That, that there are, are times where suddenly we feel dry. Suddenly we feel like there's an emptiness where, where we've been filled before. Suddenly we feel like there's, there's not that vibrancy. There's not that enjoyment in life that we used to have. And now in this moment, we feel like we're completely dry, pulled out, dislocated. It, it feels like life is not quite how we wanted it to be. 
some of you are watching this right now and this is resonating with you. You're, you're thinking about maybe your work, maybe in your work context, you're like, you know, I joined that company. I was full of hope. I worked my hardest, but I realized that every day I'm sitting in my cubicle going, where did the wine go? Some of you are thinking about this with your marriage. And you're looking at your marriage right now and you're like, where, where did my love go? Where did my strength go for this? Some of you are having really difficult times in relationships with your parents or with your siblings and you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't know if I've got it in me anymore to, to try to rebuild this thing, to try to reconcile this thing. We're asking ourselves the questions of, of, of where did my strength go? Where did my heart go? Where did that love go? Where did all of this go? This is often, I think, how we felt in 2020. And I think it's resonating with many of you watching this right now. There are places in our lives where we're going, where did the wine go for me in that area? And what's profound is when Mary comes to Jesus and, and she says that, she challenges this. She says to, to Jesus, they have no more wine. She's not making a judgment. She's not trying to, trying to say anything like that. It's just a diagnosis. It's like, it's like they, they, they've run out of wine right here. And, and I wonder whether as you're watching this, you might ask yourself, what are the places in my life where the wines run out? What are some things right now for me where I know that the vibrancy is gone? that the strength for that is gone. The love for that has gone. Maybe for some of you, it's even your faith with God in this season. Maybe you had such great vibrancy when you were gathering with us every Sunday and then in the last year, you're at a point now where you're like, where did the wine go in my relationship with God? Maybe that's kind of where you're at and I want you not to judge yourself, but I want you to be honest with a diagnosis like Mary. I want you to go, you know what? Yeah, in this place right here, the wine has run out. I, I think this also challenges us on a global scale right now. It's not just about us personally where we can say this, but I think we can start looking around with some of the things taking place in society and culture around our world. We can begin to ask the same questions. If we look at what COVID's done throughout this whole world in 2020, and you look at the way that COVID has brought so much destruction for so many families, if you look at the ways in which it's ruined business and people are now unemployed, if you look at the ways in which it's held people back from connecting with one another physically as families, we might look at COVID and go, where did the wine go? We might take a look at the absolute abject lack of good leadership from so many of our political leaders right now around the world. And we might quite rightly go, where did the wine go? We, we might take a look at, at the unjust oppression of so many ethnic minority groups around the world right now. And look at the, the realities of racism and the fact that racism is still alive and growing to this day. And we might say to those ethnic minorities, where did the wine go for this group of people? Mary and coming to Jesus and saying this, notice one thing she does. She goes to the one person that can change it. Here, here's the thing, when the wine runs out of my life, when I find that the wine is gone in certain areas, so often I'm tempted to go to other things to try to fill that space, to try to get the wine back by maybe turning to other things that, that can fill the space in the void, things that won't actually ever satisfy, things that will also run out at another time. Mary doesn't make that mistake. She doesn't go to the bride and groom. She doesn't go to the master of the banquet. She goes to the one person who can change it. She goes to Jesus and she says, here's the diagnosis. The wine has run out. I wanna, I wanna encourage you today that if you've got that diagnosis in some area of your life right now, to ask yourself that question, where have I been turning to try to find the wine again for that thing? 
And maybe you've been turning to things that, that aren't the things that Christ would want you to turn to when actually the only one that can change it and fix it is Jesus Himself. Here's the thing that I want to encourage you to know, and this is so important. The day the wine runs out is the day the miracle can start. Come on, church. The day the wine runs out is the day that the miracle can begin. And here's why that's the case. See, see, Mary, she could have gone into those kitchens and seen that the wine was running low. She could have gone and said, look, there's only six bottles of wine left. Oh my gosh, I better go to Jesus and I better take one of those bottles, give them to him and say, say Jesus, make this wine and multiply it. Jesus is going to do something like this in just a few uh, kind of months or maybe a year or so's time when he takes those that loaf and those fishes and he prays over them and he multiplies them to feed the 5,000. Jesus does miracles where he takes something that is not of much and makes it a lot more. So, so Mary could have done this. She could have taken the wine when it was getting low, brought it to Jesus, asked him to put his hands on it and multiply the wine into more wine. Jesus doesn't do that. Remember, this is his first miracle. For his first miracle, he's like, I want to show you something that you've never seen before. I'm going to take nothing and turn it into something. I'm going to take something that isn't anything and I'm going to make it into the greatest thing. Why? Because when the wine runs out in your life, you need to know that you're not lost. You're not left behind. You're not completely cut off. When the wine runs out, you're actually primed for a miracle. You're actually in a position where Jesus can show up, where all those other things that you've tried to fill and try to create more wine out of the little bit of wine that's left. Well, sometimes Jesus needs to get us to the place where there is no more wine so that He can step in and do a miracle for us. A miracle that will bring a glorification to Him that is way beyond what might happen if, if in your own strength you try really hard and then Jesus blesses it and it gets a little bit better and you go, woohoo, wasn't it great that I was involved and Jesus did a little bit? No, sometimes the wine has to run out. And some of you right now, that's exactly where you are. And you think because the wine's run out, you're, you're judging yourself, you're upset at yourself. And yeah, maybe there are some reasons. Sometimes we can do things that also cause that wine to run out. That's the reality in our lives. But because the wine has run out doesn't mean that you are in a place where you cannot receive the additional anointing and miracle of God. You are primed for God to step in right now to the emptiness and the void and turn nothing into something. That's what our God loves to do. And that's exactly what he's about to do next. Let me show you this from verses 6 and 7. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews in ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. <laughs> Jesus decides to turn nothing into something. He, he turns and he sees these six ceremonial washing jars. Now notice, Jesus could have gathered up all of the empty ceramic little jars that were used to pour the wine on the tables. He could have picked up all of those and filled those with water and then made wine out of that, but he doesn't do that. He actually goes to a container that wasn't used at all for this purpose. He turns to the ceremonial washing jars because Jesus is about to say something prophetically about who he is. Not only is he going to bless this wedding with more wine, he's about to make a prophetic statement right at the start of his ministry about who he is and what he's coming to do. So he says to the servants, take these six stone ceremonial jars. Now these jars were used for washing in a village mikvah. 
Now, a, a mikvah is a, a Jewish uh, washing, ceremonial washing pool. Uh, I've actually been to Israel and been to an archaeological dig from the first century where they've shown me a mikvah. These are, these are amazing things. They're like little stone sort of stairs that go down into a sunken pool. It looks a little bit like a first century jacuzzi, but it was actually a place where you would wash yourself and you would purify yourself from sin. So you would take a little bit of water from one of those ceremonial washing jars and you would pour that water on yourself. You would wash your body in the mikvah as a way of atoning for your sin. It was a way of actually coming before God and saying, I, I've done some things wrong. I need to get right. I need to clean and wash myself. And I, I need to do this ritual in order to be right before God. So Jesus, in thinking about this miracle, says to the servants, fill six of these jars. Now, the servants have no idea what he's about to do. So when Jesus, a, a, a Jewish carpenter, tells them to fill six ceremonial washing jars, what they're thinking is, this guy's filled with sin. <laughs> they're thinking, wow, this guy right in the middle of a wedding needs to go and purify himself. Like, what, what has this guy done? Six jars, that's like 120 to 150 gallons of water to wash this guy's sin away. This guy has done something we don't even want to know about. They're going away. They're filling up those, those jars. They're like flipping out about this guy's sin, right? And Jesus tells them, just take a little bit of the water from this jar, go to the master of the banquet and give it to him. And in obedience, they do that. They go to the master of the banquet. Now that would have communicated them saying to the master of the banquet, it's time for you to purify yourself from sin, which was a really embarrassing thing for them to do. But in obedience, they do it. The master of the banquet takes the cup, which has now from water turned into wine. I'm not going to be able to do that, by the way. I would love to be able to pray right now and like some magic thing right here, not gonna happen. But anyway, um, but that's what Jesus does. And the master of the banquet, he, he drinks the cup and, and he says this thing. He says, wow, everybody brings out like the cheap stuff early, uh, the expensive stuff early on. And then when people get drunk, you know, we get the cheap stuff out. He's like, we, we're, we've been going for a while now and now you bring out the best wine I've ever had. He said, you've saved the best till now. What Jesus is doing here is he's not just saving the party and making sure the party can continue. He's not just turned water into wine to communicate to each one of us that God can take our emptiness and our void and make something glorious out of it. He's also making a statement about who he is. He's saying, you know what? In the past, you had to go to these water jars in order to scrub yourself clean from your sin. Well, well because of me, because I'm now with you, that completely changes. To understand that, we need to understand something about Old Testament prophetic tradition. In the Old Testament prophetic tradition, wine was usually used as a symbol of God's presence. In fact, right now on the screen are going to come up a whole bunch of passages from the Old Testament that will show you how, how the Old Testament speaks of this, that wine is connected to the presence of God. It was a beautiful poetic imagery, a prophetic statement of what it is for God's presence to be near to us. It was to be filled with wine or to have the beauty of wine or to be able to taste wine. The, the good taste of wine was like the presence of God to us. So Jesus, in, in taking this water and turning it into wine, and, and this guy proclaiming, hey, this is the best wine I've ever had. Here's what God is actually saying. See, Jesus is God's 
best wine. Like, like the whole Old Testament prophetic tradition was that God's presence is symbolized in wine. The master of the banquet is basically saying, guess what? God in Jesus has saved the best to last. Like Jesus is the best wine that God is ever going to pour out. Now in Jesus being poured out for us, we receive the greatest wine ever, the greatest closeness to the presence of God. Everything that the Old Testament had spoken about with wine and the presence of God now comes into the fullness in this moment in this wedding where he goes, wow, the best ever. And Jesus is there like, yep, that's exactly what's taking place. I'm not just doing a miracle for you right now. I'm actually saying something about who I am. And this is important because what this is communicating to the Jewish people around him is this. That in the past, you needed these six ceremonial washing jars and the mikveh to scrub yourself clean of all of the sin and all of the stuff you've done. You've, you've had to do all this ritual before. You know how you get clean now? You come and you sit at a table and we have a party together. <laughs> and my cup is poured out for you. Guess what? The wine is never going to run out now. You know what? In a relationship with me, you never have to worry about ever being dry. You never have to worry about ever being bereft of love. You never have to worry about ever having to wash yourself as hard as you can. You've got grace and grace abundant. In my life, in my death, and in my resurrection, on the third day, I'm going to bring to you such beautiful wine that if you were to drink of this cup, you will never die, but you will have eternal life. I mean, this is the the power of what this miracle is saying. And everybody around that room was completely lost to everything that Jesus was saying. It was only later as John was reflecting on that moment, he's able to put the pieces together and say the wine never runs out. Some of you right now, where you've made that diagnosis of, hey, this is an area of my life where I know the wine is gone. Where has the wine gone in this marriage, in this job, in my relationship with you, God? And you feel like that's put you in a place where, where you just have no hope. The miracle at the wedding in Cana says to you, you are never without hope. You are never in a place where you are completely and utterly lost. There is new wine for you. How does Jesus do this? Well, I want to show you something profound and beautiful. Just a little bit later on in the Gospel of John, in John 15, verse 5. This is the signature verse for us here at the Vine, and I'm excited about this. John 15, verse 5. Listen to this. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If someone remains in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This passage of John 15 where Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the crowds is one of the most fundamental in understanding Jesus and what he does in our lives. Jesus pitches himself as a vine. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we know how wine is made, don't we? Wine comes from grapes that have been harvested from a vine and those grapes are crushed and then fermented and that's what creates wine down the line. But a question we should ask ourselves is, How do the grapes form on the vine in the first place? On those branches, how does the fruit of a grape get formed? Well, here's the cool thing. Do you know how grapes are actually formed in vineyards through vines? 
the vine sucks up water from the ground and takes that water and it turns it into a grape, which becomes something that is crushed and made into wine. Jesus stands before the disciples in the crowd and he says, you want to know what I'm going to do with you? I'm going to suck up your water. I'm going to suck up all that stuff that you think is a waste, all that stuff that you don't think is anything. I'm going to suck it all up. I'm going to bring it into me. I'm going to die on your behalf. I'm going to be raised again so that through me now, I can create the greatest wine in you that the world has ever tasted. You are to be transformed from the, wi- from the water that is in you into the greatest wine through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus making his statement about what the resurrection is all about. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. You will have wine. You will be able to create the greatest expressions of the presence of God in this world than has ever happened before. You are this new humanity. I will go to that cross to take your water and to turn it into wine. Some of you watching this right now, you feel like you constantly are focusing. You you think your whole life and your whole world is nothing but soggy, disgusting, stale water. Jesus looks at your stale water and he sees the potential for the greatest wine ever created. (laughs) Come on, church. He takes your water and he turns it into his wine. Why? So that he can be glorified so that we can come to know Him in that presence like we've never known Him before, and also so that we might then become the wine of Christ ourselves, so that we might be in those weddings in our canas, that we might be the ones like Mary who recognizes when the wine has run out for others and turns to the only one who can make a difference and say, Jesus, the wine has run out. That we might look at the world right now with COVID and say, Jesus, the wine has run out. We might look at our marriages and say, I'm not going to give up hope. Jesus, the wine has run out. We might look at all the things that are holding us back. We might look at all the stuff that's happening in our culture and society and we might get depressed and upset and hurt and frustrated and anxious and yet we turn to Jesus and we say the wine has run out and you, Lord, are in the business of turning water into wine. You are in the business of taking nothing and making it into something. I can't do it, but you can. Here's the diagnosis, Lord, and I'm open to the change. And I pray for you as you're watching this today, that that's your heart that you don't beat yourself up and you don't feel condemned because there's water in your life, that you don't feel condemned because there's dryness, but you actually realize, like Mary, that you can make that diagnosis in your heart. And in doing that, you turn to Him and say, Lord, I recognize in this area, I recognize I've turned from you. I recognize that maybe some sin has dried up that wine that was there before. I recognize that this thing right here, it's not right. I'm not right with you. I'm not right with this person. Or or it might be just, I recognize here that I've been really hard done by by others. I recognize here that there's a lot of hurt in me because of what somebody else has done to me. God, whatever it might be, there is those places where the wine has run out and I come to you now, hungry for a Cana experience. My encouragement to you is that you are never in a place where you are lost and without hope. You are always in a place where you can turn to a miracle working God. One that will in the future, yes, absolutely, take what we have and make it more, but who in this moment takes the nothingness and makes it into His glory. Can we pray? Father, we're just so grateful for this moment because in this moment, 
we turn to the miracle working God. We turn to the one that can meet us in the place where we are dry, where the wine has run out. And Father, in that place, we look to you just like Mary did. And we make that diagnosis in our heart. Lord, in this place right here, I confess the wine is gone. I confess the strength is gone, the love is gone, whatever it is, Lord, in this place here. I want to encourage you just to take a moment. If this message is speaking to you today, take a moment in your heart to make that diagnosis before the Lord. The wine's run out. And as you do that, that's the first step in Jesus coming and doing that miracle working power. And I'm not going to tell you that He's suddenly going to change it in a moment. I'm not going to tell you that that's a magical prayer, but, but as we bring our dryness to Him, we're bringing that to the only person who can actually give us eternal joy, the only person who can give us eternal wine, the eternal presence of Him. And so, Father, I want to pray for Your presence to invade for each person in that place where they brought to You, that You would manifest Your glory and Your beauty, that You would bring Your miracle power by Your Spirit, and that for those of us that, that need it, that, Lord, You would take our nothingness and turn it into something of Your glory. And, Father, we're so grateful for this. In Jesus' name, amen.